Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. A moment, because it's a titch on the cold side, which is very exciting. Nice. Like, my thermometer literally is 50 degrees cooler than, like, four or five days ago. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's crazy right now. It's like the most bizarre weather ever. Right. <sighs> but at least we're not 116 degrees anymore. Yeah, it's been about 90 here lately, but, like, consistently. Yeah. You know? No back and forth. We actually had precipitation fall from the skies on Sunday. Nice. Because apparently there was a hurricane coming up from Southern California. So we got like wisps. It literally rained for like mm, 15 seconds. Enough for there to be spots on the ground. And then they dried up because it was still really hot outside. Yeah. 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 I drove through a pretty wicked storm last night. <sighs> It was like pouring. I couldn't like go the speed limit. It was raining so hard. I'm so jealous because you have trees in green. Mm -hmm. I have brown and water rations. Yeah. Yay. Oh, my goodness. What else have you been up to? Anything fun and exciting? Nothing fun and exciting. Just stress and anxiety inducing. It's been a week. It's been a very very frustrating week um i'll spare everybody all the details i'm just stressed but one of the main things is gymnastics like bailey got bumped up which is great i'm happy and proud of her but like we go five days a week now and we're so we're there until 8 p.m every night that is that is some insane time commitment but yeah i don't that just i don't know yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. My, my husband and I had a very lengthy conversation about it. Um, and while I want Bailey to continue, it's also a lot for her, too. She's 11 and, like, it's not. I know. Like, because how many hours is it, like, each night? Four. Four hours each night? Yeah. Except for Fridays are three. That's, that's like a, that's a. That is a part-time job. That is 20 hours a week. Yes. And if she so if she gets bumped up again to level seven, which she likely will after the season, um, we would go six days a week. mm. Yeah. So my husband and I had like a very, very, very lengthy discussion about how I don't want to like pressure Bailey one way or the other, but we're going to have to sit down and really decide if this is the way we want to go. Like, is she doing it for fun or is she doing it for scholarships and blah, blah, blah? Like, is this, is this her thing, you know? Exactly. So that's, like, she's, she's good at it, but like, I don't want to sound like an a-hole, but like, she's, she has to work hard. Like, she's not naturally talented at it. Like, she has to like, Mm -hmm. you know how like the people who get college scholarships are just like naturally good. Like, they have to work for it, but like you know some of these skills come easily and bailey bailey still struggles with her splits like she's still not flexible like so it's just like 
Mm. realistically we have to take a, a big look at it without trying to force her one way or the other but she made a comment before the season that like she really wants to do middle school things and try like middle school activities and things like that yeah and she had made a comment about wanting to try other sports and so I told her I was like that's always an option but then she decided to stay with gymnastics and I was like that's fine you know we'll go and so now with these changes I was telling her I was like we're gonna have to really figure this out I was like because she's already frustrated going five days a week because she's like that only gives me eight days a month to play with my friends and like just be a kid and I was like yeah yeah I was like you know it's a big commitment um I was like either we're like after this season we're either all in or we're all out like we can't do this like right now we're kind of in between (laughs) Mm, that's so crazy so she can't just do it for fun like I mean she could like we can say that we don't want to move up levels but like if she's going to be there like she wants to get better Mm. and she wants to compete like the whole reason why she doesn't want to leave is because she doesn't want to leave her friends and all that stuff but like right um dang she's 11 and she's having to make like adult decisions this is horrible she is because i mean she's got a lot of friends in school like a lot of friends in school Mm. and i've literally never met any of them because we can't like (laughs) oh man like i see the one girl that she walks home from school with and like that's about it and like Mm. i i don't know that's crazy that's gotta be really hard i mean and then i was thinking too i was like man if we're all in and like we keep committing to this like when she's at the age of getting an after-school job like she can't like (laughs) right like she won't be able to Mm-hmm. and like we have had the discussions of like pulling her out of school and doing homeschool so she can go to gymnastics more during the day and all this stuff but like i don't know we're just gonna have to that's it, a huge it, commitment too though like yes so yeah it, it's a lot it's a lot for her it's not as much for me but it's still a lot for me and yeah it's also a lot of money uh, <laughs> so. yeah i was gonna say i i know like you're I mean you're obviously the only person I know with kids and it it and I don't I don't know how you guys do it (laughs) like it's so stressful because like I said it's that fine line of like not trying to sway her one way or the other like I'm trying to I'm trying to support her like and support her dreams and her goals but like I also want to support her being a kid and like not force her into these situations where she can't like do things and well and that's hard because it's like you have to make a choice one way or the other like something's gonna get sacrificed whether that's going and doing the gymnastics or that's the other kids stuff you know so it's you know all decisions we get to make as adults and oh yeah i don't know it's hard but you just got to figure out what it is you're passionate about and then go for it yeah yeah and that's hard at 11 <laughs> no joke. I, I mean i'm in my 40s and i'm just like what am i passionate about <laughs> how do i fully commit to it i mean i do know what i'm passionate about but <laughs> yeah. it's the figuring out the full commitment with all the other obligations and things right know? yeah yeah because her and i will <laughs> talk too and she's like you gotta stop saying yes to everything and i was like dude tell me about it like i know but like because it's like my old boss wants me back too um and like at first it was just an offer to come back like more on a consistent like part-time basis and like 
I have a problem, right? Like everybody knows who knows me knows that I have a problem. So I have a difficult time saying no. So I haven't said anything yet. I'm just like, let me look at my schedule. But like, I don't have the time. Like we go to gymnastics five days a week and like I switched jobs because it was difficult for me to drive an hour one way, come home and then drive an hour another way. And like, yeah. So, you know, it's just been, it's been a hectic week of life altering decisions this week. And multiple life-altering decisions, not even just, like, simple things. Yeah, we're kind of at that stage, too, which is crazy. Um, we Like, we're just having a lot of life conversations. Mm-hmm. It's annoying. I'm ready for, but the, like... But the crappy thing is, is, like, not making a decision is also making a decision. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, like, the longer I push it out, the more, like, other things come up. And I'm like, dang it. I, I know, I know, I know. I'm trying. Okay, adulting. <laughs> my my goal for 2023 is to set better boundaries and like mm-hmm. stick to those boundaries. You and I talked about it because you, you were like, what other lectures are you going to try to apply for? And I was like, man, I, I don't think that I can take on any more right now. Yeah. Like, I just don't think I should add anything else to my agenda. And that yeah. includes working for more people. <laughs> like, it's right? A, yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's it's a fun line. And it's like, I want to do it. Like, I love it. I really enjoy it. But like, leading up to it, I'm always like super stressed out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I totally get it. All right. Anyway, back to this, <laughs> back to this episode. Enough about <laughs> there we go. our lives. <laughs> we do have a CE. Thank you, everybody who came to this past Saturday CE. Yeah, that was fun. Um, we yeah, that was Addison's. We did. And so next month we are going to be talking about continuous glucose monitors and how to use them in your practice. That's Saturday, October 15th. You can join the newsletter to get an invite. Um, and you can do that at internal medicine for vettex.com. Yeah. So- aren't a member you can still come um there is a there is a fee associated with it but if if you're a membership member it's free um and and it is race approved ce so every month we do race approved ce it's one hour um we had some people ask you know is this for if you are applying for a vts does it count (laughs) um the answer is yes because it is internal medicine and because both jordan and i are vts's in internal medicine and our conversations are typically internal medicine um it does count and and they are race approved so these are these are you know like anywhere else if you went and did a ce it would count just you know so in case anybody else is wondering they they do definitely count yeah, they do. <laughs> this week, though, oh my gosh, we're getting away from bacteria, and I'm so happy. <laughs> no, and it's so funny because my friend and I had one of those like deep conversations the other day where we're like we we're talking about how humans are supposedly superior beings, but yet we can be taken out by single cell organisms. So I think it's just humans saying that they're superior. Yeah, I don't not I'm, superior. I don't think I believe it. <laughs> so yeah, so we had one of those like type of conversations, and so <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> re- respect to the bacteria. I'm just I mean, I don't it. know what bacteria was in my leg, but it took me out for a good two months. So yeah. I hear it. Yeah. So we're talking refeeding syndrome. So oh internal yeah. medicine thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This like it brought me back to like ICU days when I was yeah. doing these notes and like 
you can just like as we talk about it you can just picture how these kittens look because i say kittens like it does occur in dogs but it's more frequently occurring in cats um yeah i think that's because cats will like stop eating for you know the the somebody looking at them funny um versus dogs are like i'm on my deathbed and i'm still eating mm -hmm. (laughs) so i definitely think that plays into it (laughs) yep (laughs) (laughs) yeah cats again this will get me into like those deep conversations because like cats are like i consider them pretty superior beings right but like yeah when it comes to survival of the fittest, cats will be like, I can go longer without eating than you can. And like, it's like a competition. Like, and you're like, don't, don't get in that competition. Dang it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but refeeding syndrome. So what it is, is it's just like a, a combination of several different mo- metabolic um, occurrences that disturb the body. And it typically happens after reintroducing food to a patient that has been anorexic for an extended period of time, not even just anorexic, severely malnourished can be on there too. So they can mm. be eating just incorrectly for what their body needs. Um, yeah. and, and so we'll kind of talk about what's, what's happening, but basically the broken down version of it is we have severe metabolic changes, right? So we, we actually have like electrolyte changes. So we see hypophosphatemia, hypomagnesium, magnesiumemia. <laughs> Hypo low magnesium magnesium <laughs> yeah magnesiumia like magnesium there's a a it's throwing me off mm. <laughs> um hypokalemia hyponatremia hypocalcemia hyperglycemia and vitamin deficiency so low everything high blood sugar and some vitamin deficiencies <laughs> seriously yeah, all of our electrolytes are out of whack. Um, I mean, these these patients this, that have refeeding syndrome, they're usually really sick. Yeah, and the and patients can die from this. So, like, oh, essentially, yeah. and which is crazy too to think because, like, right, we get excited when a patient starts eating. We're like, they're taking a turn. Like, you know, we're super pumped about it. But then them eating is killing them, and so it's just, you know, what's crazy is this also occurs in people. Yes. I was reading a bunch yeah. of studies about it, about how it occurs. Like that's how it was first discovered. And then like when cats started showing similar symptoms, some human who had like encountered it was like, this happens in humans. And like, yeah, yeah. it's it's a thing. Um, but it's, so it's believed to result when again, like, so it can be enteral or parenteral nutrition, right? So again, mm-hmm. we're trying to help the patient. Um, but it's fed to a starved or severely malnourished patient and it leads to changes in like the redistribution of fluids and electrolytes. And then because of the starvation and malnourished patients, the body can't accommodate it with its weakened cardiovascular system. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, it, I mean, the body's smart, right? It waits until the last possible minute to start attacking the cardiovascular. Like mm-hmm. if we've got if we've got the body using heart muscle as nutrition, because that's one of the last muscles that starts going after We talked about this a little bit with our um, like DKA patients, how, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's starvation, which in this case it's starvation because we don't have insulin, right. For a DKA in, in when we're talking about refeeding, these are patients that 
they, they were starving for whatever reason. Um, and so the last muscle that starts getting used is the heart. So what happens is if we try to go too quickly, the heart's like, I can't handle it. And then we mm-hmm. get all sorts of fun problems with that too, which is, yeah. Bad. So when we kind of look at it from like a molecular level, I guess, mm-hmm. um, So once we start reintroducing food, what happens in the body is there's an increased use of phosphorus and magnesium, and that is to drive the pathways of substrate and cofactors for adenosine triphosphate synthesis. Yeah, so our Um, ATP. And the ATP mm -hmm. is, remember, the currency of cells, right? Mm -hmm. So this is it's not just glucose, but this is like how cells and and muscles and everything work. So it's getting back to normal (laughs) or trying (laughs) because of this, there's an increased intracellular need of these, these nutrients, Mm. um, in conjunction with like transportation of potassium into the cell with insulin driving like blood sugar uptake as well. So glucose Mm -hmm. uptake. And then it then results in just a depletion of those specific electrolytes too. Like it, yeah. I'm going to try to break it down a little bit more, but yeah. <laughs> it, it does, it can get very complicated. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these metabolic changes are thought to be because of like a sudden release of insulin. So again, that insulin is stimulated by intakes of carbohydrates. Um, So with the sudden release of insulin and the presence of total body nutrition depletion. So again, this body has just fully used up all of its resources Mm. to stay, help stay alive. Right. And then, so we're severely malnourished. We're severely anorexic. Um, It's, it's just like the body can't keep up. Yeah. Yeah. It it can't sort through the nutrients fast enough. And appropriately bind to it and use things appropriately. And, and yeah, it's, it's like its response is kind of like, you know, its response to nutrient uptake is kind of how we expect a cat after starvation to react, right? We expect them to just gobble food and, and we get excited when they do that. Well, Mm. the cells are trying to gobble these nutrients up, right? And then they're like, holy crap, I'm like overfilled. And then so in the bloodstream itself, we have a depletion of things like potassium and stuff like that. So we have low potassium because it's all in the cells because it took it up thinking like as a, as a starvation mechanism, right? Like it's, Mm. it's trying to survive, but in fact, it's damaging itself. Um, so kind of backing up a little bit, we take in carbohydrates, insulin is then released, and then it converts from a catabolic to an anabolic state. So we're getting back to like anatomy and <laughs> physiology here. And, and nutrition so, and all that yeah. fun stuff. Yep. So this anabol- this switch from catabolic to anabolic state will increase that cellular demand for phosphorus, potassium, and water. So again, it's like Pac-Man. Those cells are trying to just gobble them up. Mm. Um, and so nitrosis stops and edema can start developing. And then what can happen with this is that increases our heart rate. It can increase our blood pressure and cardiac output. And this will eventually lead to volume overload and pulmonary edema. Um, And this can even occur in dogs or cats without even any previous heart disease, as we know when it comes to fluid overload. Yeah. Cause I mean, the thing is, is like 
cell permeability is changing. You know, it's, it's all a matter of hyperosmotic versus hypoosmotic, like where are the pressures and because the body still wants to do homeostasis. So it wants to balance things out, but it, it, it can't because areas are so depleted that it's taking the water with it because water. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem is, is it takes the water to move those electrolytes. And then we start getting the edema and the, you know, the cellular, like peripheral edema and um, pulmonary edema because the water goes with the electrolytes. Which can kind of be like a catch 22, right? Because like we Mm -hmm. need the fluid in the body Yep. like within the cells to rebalance things out. But because yeah. they show signs of edema and pulmonary edema and fluid overload, we tend to need to reduce how quickly we're giving IV fluids. It's like, it's like when we have a cardiac failure cat with a, with kidney disease, it's like such a very fine balance. <laughs> like fine line of what we can do with you. Yeah. 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 Uh, so hypophosphatemia tends to be the most common and, and consistently seen abnormality when refeeding syndrome occurs. Um, and it also results in like a lot of the complications that we'll see that we'll talk about here in just a minute. So I've touched on this before. Like it was one of those interesting facts that I learned and I can't shake it from my brain, but depletion of magnesium and potassium can then further contribute to developing more complications that we see again with we see a lot with, you know, potassium depletion specifically, mm-hmm. but I've talked about it before where if your magnesium is low and you're trying to supplement the potassium, the potassium cannot drive up without magnesium. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which so, is crazy because we don't test magnesium. No, like, we don't. Commonly. Like you almost, no. like I know at my clinic, we have separate slides that we have to do for it. It's not in a normal panel. Um, so it's something that you kind of test- have to think about um, yeah. adding in instead of it just being like, one of the things that's in the panel. And I feel like it's almost safe to assume that if we think we're dealing with refeeding syndrome, that Mm -hmm. we need to think about uh, magnesium supplementation. Um, We can have hypokalemia. So arrhythmias can be induced by that. And then Mm -hmm. we can also have hypocalcemia and hypomagnesiemia. (laughs) That word's going to kill me today. Just say low magnesium. (laughs) Um, so we kind of, we briefly touched on it. So during starvation though, right, there's catabolism of fat and muscle, and that also contributes to further electrolyte losses. So you have starvation on top of catabolism. Um, so like, honestly, like the refeeding syndrome stuff is so, so similar to like a DKA patient, mm -hmm. um, because or, of how those electrolytes work. Like when you have a severe enough DKA patient, you're you're essentially dealing almost with like a, a refeeding syndrome patient. I mean, yeah, because most of the time those cats aren't eating anyway. So mm-hmm. or but, if they are, um, it's not being used appropriately because it can't be. Yeah, yeah. And the kidneys kind of take a hit with this too, just oh, because yeah. there's a electrolyte excretion throughout the kidneys. And so the kidneys are trying to work hard to maintain serum concentrations, as I said, but those cells again are trying to really heavily pull up all the nutrients that it feels are lost. I mean, are lost, but, um, Mm -hmm. so because of the kidneys working hard, some signs of electrolyte depletion might not be seen initially because the kidneys are trying to balance it out as hard as they can. Um, and then ultimately we get overworked kidneys. So... 
how this presents. So animals that are older or critically ill can be at increased risk of refeeding syndrome. Um, but I kind of talked about kittens, right? Like we have those kittens specifically. I think of kittens. I don't really think of these older cats, but it can happen in hepatic lipidosis kitties. Um, so we do need I to be just cautious. think of like the adult cats or like the, like, I just think of adult middle-aged cats around here because they're the ones that are off exploring places and then they get locked in places like the See, garage that's I, or that's shed how I think- or something. That's how I think of kittens, because I think yeah. of kittens as like stray kittens that are just munching on whatever they can munch on, right? Yeah. And like it's not appropriate. Nutrition. And like as they've <laughs> grown, they still don't have that proper nutrition. So it's not mm. even necessarily starvation, it's mal- malnourished cats. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's what I always think of. So typically though, refeeding syndrome can occur within two to five days after starting feeding. Um, but signs can be detected within hours. Um but the, but <laughs> it can be, signs can be delayed up to 10 days. Mm-hmm. So they can be having all these metabolic issues going on. And again, the kidneys are trying to help compensate. Um, but the signs of these electrolyte imbalances won't occur for 10 days, which is I've crazy. Never, which is crazy. I guess I would say I've never, I can't say I've never seen that because I guess maybe we've never caught it. And those are the pets. I wonder. Were- I was going to say, I wonder if those are the ones that they come in the hospital, they do okay, and then we send them home, and then they come back because they're just not feeling great. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like they have a little bit of that delayed reaction. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing, too, is like I think about, because again, it's I think cats, because more so than dogs, Yeah, um, they get home and they feel better so that they're at home and they're actually eating more than they were in hospital. Mm Mm-hmm. And, cli- yeah. and clients, clients are guilty of it. They're like, but I love them. I'm going to feed them. And they don't really grasp that more food actually puts them at a higher risk. But we don't communicate that though, do we? Like, I think it depends. I mean, hopefully you scare the bejeebus out of them. <laughs> I feel like that's one of those things though, that because we've discharged a patient and they go home, we say, let them eat how they normally eat. Right. Like mm. we'll, we'll we're casual about it. We're like, let them eat their normal meals, but we don't say try not to overfeed them because it can run the risk of these metabolic issues versus just saying like, try not to overfeed them. Like when they're on pred because they can get fat. Like, you know, we're not. Yeah. I guess it depends if you're really concerned about refeeding syndrome. Like, cause I know that if we have a patient that has a history of starvation or malnutrition, I think we're more diligent about it. And we say, you know, here's our daily KCALs, but we're going to start at 50% and slowly work our way up. I guess that's true. I guess it just depends on if you know they're going to be at a higher risk or not. And that's where that history taking comes in, (laughs) you know, and figuring out, okay, well, why does this patient feel like crap? So, yeah, that's true. Cause I guess for our feeding two patients, we gradually increase the Mm -hmm. food intake, but yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, so like I said, signs can be delayed up to 10 days, but a lot of these abnormalities can include outward signs of things like peripheral edema, hemolytic anemia. I say yeah. outward signs. So like we can see edema, we can see anemia, uh, cardiac failure, though, neurologic dysfunction, respiratory failure. Um, and again, the, the pets that are at risk for developing refeeding syndrome it typically relates to the degree of like malnutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it has been reported to occur in ill patients after even just short periods of starvation up upwards of 48 hours. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I know, I guess, I guess. Okay. Well, so here's the thing, right? When I talk to clients about cats, especially like, I think of like for this, like our chronically ill, I think of our um, kidney patients or Mm -hmm. like our GI lymphoma patients. And I, and, and I warn clients, like, we don't like seeing these kids go more than two to three days of not eating just because they're so susceptible Um, versus dogs. I think. I don't think of it as much, but I probably should. Well, it Um, makes me think, though, too, that like if they can develop signs of refeed, well, if they can develop refeeding syndrome after just 48 hours of starvation, I wonder how many of those like rallies, rallies before death we see are mm. patients like that where they're okay they're not quite starving but they're malnourished and then they might stop eating for a day or two and then the net you know after two days they're just like ravenous and people are like oh they really took a turn and you know they're they're doing great hmm. or we see it in hospitals too right like we've seen those patients where like they're doing horrible and then all of a sudden they have one really good day and then the next day they're dead yeah i mean and i and i get <laughs> I wonder though, like, really, is it that? Because I don't know. I think of like we're always checking electrolytes on our patients. Like that's the one thing. Yeah, but that if we signs, do a lot. if signs can be delayed for up to mm. ten days, it's possible. I suppose, right? It's mm. one of those medical things that we'll probably never get to figure out or pinpoint, <laughs> or n- not anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So other signs that we can see, there's signs associated with hypokalemia, and that can be things like muscle weakness and heart arrhythmias. Mm. Uh, With low magnesium, we can see also arrhythmias, tremors, uh, tetany, and weakness. Um, And then with our hypomagnesiumemia, (laughs) low (laughs) magnesium, (laughs) we can see uh, secondary hypokalemia, kind of like we talked about, as well as secondary hypocalcemia. And then fluid overload and fluid retention can occur like we said, even if we're trying to do conservative fluid rates and then other signs that we can see in some of these patients include weight gain, dyspnea, uh, tachypnea. We can hear pulmonary crackles because, again, fluid overload, right? Pomosis and serous nasal discharge because, again, fluid overload. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't put any differentials here because these are typically patients that we're already treating, right? Like these are patients that are I feel already like this is a concurrent hospital. disease kind of thing instead of mm-hmm. like a I guess the differential is do they have it or not <laughs> like there's your differential that's yeah that's true is it <laughs> is it the hepatic lipidosis that's causing the cat to feel crummy or is it refeeding syndrome or is it the kidney failure the DKA or like, is it you know hepatic lipidosis and refeeding because that 100% happens oh for sure it's so hard for people to not get excited to feed animals once they start eating again. Yeah, yeah. I know. I Yeah, that's one of the reasons like when we do like a hepatic lipidosis cat, we start with that low RER and then slowly work our way up because we're like, let's try yeah. to prevent it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so another thing kind of going back to that whole like rally before death and why we might not catch it, right? So a lot of times because these patients often will have like an intracellular depletion of electrolytes. So Mm. uh, it might not be identified in serum electrolytes. Yeah, that makes sense. The blood volume is fine, but the intracellular volume is low. Right. 
until it tries to balance out. And then like when those cells start to gobble up the potassium and stuff like that and take it out of the blood, then we see low blood. So yeah. I don't, it, I don't know. Um, it, in these patients though. So I kind of, I kind of skipped over diagnostics, but diagnostics are going to be whatever the original presenting. I was going to say the, I am special. <laughs> yeah. But like, very specifically, if at any point we're suspecting refeeding syndrome or we know that a patient might be at risk for refeeding syndrome, right? Electrolytes and glucose levels should be monitored every four to six hours until they've stabilized. Um, yeah, because these and, shifts can happen quick. Yeah. 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 And in DKAs, we're monitoring those. We're monitoring electrolytes probably at least, what, twice a day, you'd say? Like, if things are, like, steady. I was going to say, it depends on how bad they are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of DKAs specifically will have low potassium. So we're monitoring about every six hours, but mm -hmm. like, uh, and giving like, uh, uh Kmax and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, they also get low magnesium too. So super yeah. Fun. Treatment for these guys is, is a little bit variable. Well, it's not really variable, right? We can, we can all take a guess that we need to replace electrolyte balances. So, when it comes to nutrition though, nutritional support should not be initialized prior to correcting fluid and electrolyte balances, right? Like when it comes yeah. to treating a pet that might be at risk of developing refeeding syndrome. Yeah. So, and this is, I mean, and, and when Jordan's, when you're saying that, like it's mm -hmm. not days worth, this no. is like, you know, we're, we're correcting it within six to 12 hours. Like, yeah you know, as long as the patient can tolerate it, we're trying to collect, correct it, get them to a stable place and then start introducing <laughs> <refeeding> them, <laughs> which logically speaking, <sighs> pets are going to feel better and be more willing to eat. If we correct the dehydration and the mm -hmm. electrolyte balances with IV fluids first. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess, I was going to say, think about when you're hungover, but like, I've never been hungover. So that might be like a interesting comparison, but like, right. Like you feel the need to rehydrate. Everybody drinks like a Gatorade or Pedialyte after mm. like the day that they're hungover before you eat anything. And it's probably a really bad idea to eat something super greasy after that. But <laughs> like logically speaking, <laughs> but again, I've, I've never been hungover. So <laughs> Well, the greasy, carby stuff helps absorb things is basically the idea. Yeah, but then it also drives up your insulin and glucose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so once stabilization with IV fluids and electrolyte supplementation occurs, then we can gradually is going to be the, the word of the day, <laughs> um, administer food, and it should only be increased incrementally. Um, initially, once we mm. plan on starting food, we want to, before we plan on starting food, we, we want to calculate the RER, right? We want to, um, also to a loading dose of thiamine can be given and thiamine is a vitamin B, um, mm. and B that complex, can be given, right? yeah, that yeah. can be given daily. And that's just to help support the body. We B complex specifically vitamin Bs are water soluble. So Mm -hmm. can't really overdo it but it can it can definitely help but that is recommended to start before starting to feed 
And then again, we want to then go into calculating our RERs. And then um, we only want to feed, we want to start off feeding only 25% of the RER the first day. On the second day, um, we're just monitoring, making yep. sure they're not having issues with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So day one and two are 25%. Day three, as long as things look good mm -hmm. and seem to be going well, we're going to increase to 50% on the third day. And then again, give the 50% two days. And so then on day five, we're going to increase to 75% of the total RER calculation. And then again, on day seven, we're going to increase to a hundred percent. Right. And this is as long as everything looks good. We don't start seeing some of those crazy derangements, our patients feeling well, um, and we're monitoring their glucose, potassium, phosphorus, and magnesium the whole time, just to make sure, you know, what are they doing? And it's going to be hard because, you know, clients are going to want to feed quicker, um, Sometimes our patients want to eat faster. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to, you know, hold back on food um, when they're showing interest. So it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, especially if they're still taking food by mouth instead of a feeding tube, it's a little bit harder. Um, well, and realistically too, right? Like we're talking one whole week of just reintroducing food. Yeah. Not doing Slowly. anything else other than trying to introduce food. And so because blood work should be monitored really closely during this time, not every client can afford that. Mm -hmm. Not every client can afford to keep a patient in the hospital. So these pets are going home with hopefully instructions on how to feed and trying to get, I mean, I a thousand percent get it. I would be very excited when my pet starts to yeah. eat again after I just spent thousands of dollars trying to get them to feel better that I yeah. probably would give them an extra meal, even though I know better. But, you know, as techs, like things go out the window when you're a tech. Uh, <laughs> so, you mean when you're an owner? <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. But a uh -huh. tech owner. Yeah. So here's oh. the thing is like, so we're monitoring our blood work really closely. We're monitoring our patient really closely for any of those clinical signs. If we start seeing issues, we need to reduce what we're feeding by 50%, which is crazy. Which um, is a bummer too. Cause if you get up to that day five and you're on 75%, uh, you gotta go back down to 25%. Oh yeah. So yeah, so you're feeding, so you're at 75 and now we got to drop that in half. You're like 35-ish percent somewhere in there, you know, and then you're going to have to, you're probably going to have to slow that ref or the feeding schedule down. So you may have to take it three days instead of two days, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then um, to go from there, like even to get to do gold standard, right? Like after, so say we make it past the first week, we're on day seven, right? And mm -hmm. we're doing good and things are going great. After that first week, we're going to want to recalculate that RER based on ideal body weight yep. and then slowly increase from there, right? Because a lot, again, severely malnourished or anorexic, these pets have lost weight. Like oh, catabolism yeah. has happened. They've and lost so, muscle mass. That's, yes. It, it, the body has used the muscle as food. So recalculating that energy requirement is ideal after week. So again, even if these pets do go home and they do well, and like we haven't checked their electrolytes, but they're eating well, 
they need to come back for recheck for electrolyte checks and recalculation of their RERs. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no like studies that show that a specific diet will kind of lead more towards refeeding syndrome. So like, again, um, some of those critical care diets like Hills AD and stuff like that, um, it, it's not proven that like something like that, that's high in calories will cause refeeding syndrome. So any diet can be fed, but any diet can cause refeeding syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause I feel like, re- I feel um, like the, the critical care and the AD and stuff like that, that's what we're using for these patients yep. that weren't eating. And, and those are like, I joke. I'm like, those are the really high calorie, high fat, yummy foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you don't have to, you know, switch out to a different one. However, you know, if you're trying to keep our RER low, we may use a diet that's lower in calories mm-hmm. so that we can bulk up their, their food and make them feel less hungry. Yep. So, yeah. So it's not necessarily based. Yes. Calories do play a role here but kind of as Yvonne said like we can choose something that's a little bit low calorie so we can like bulk up things but it's about how fast yeah yeah. um it's about how fast we're administering that food so again though so patients that we do think that are at risk for developing refeeding syndrome they should be monitored daily as we kind of talked about um and it's really monitoring them daily like if you have a patient come in day one they're a DKA and they haven't eaten for three days, right? They should be flagged as a risk for refeeding syndrome Mm. from day one. And then the sooner that we can kind of keep an eye and monitor them daily and we can catch it, the sooner we can catch it, right? The better success we're going to have with identifying the condition and and treating it and rebalancing out the body. Um, In those patients too, specifically, uh, especially going through refeeding, like actively going through refeeding body weight should be monitored. I'm a stickler on that, right? That's part of our daily, um, TPRs and stuff like that mm-hmm. daily exams that we need to monitor body weight. Sometimes we'll do it, especially cause these guys are prone to fluid overload. We'll do it a couple times a day just to make sure that we're not gaining weight. And then with what goes on with weight gain too, we need to monitor urine output as well. Right? Like, so we need to make sure that if they are gaining weight, well, where's, where's all this fluid going? How much are they putting out? We need to monitor serum electrolytes. Obviously EKGs can be monitored as well. That doesn't need to be Mm. consistently, but checked a couple times a day. If you have one of those great monitors that just sits on the cage, fantastic. Those are great for these patients. Glucose levels. So, um, Hey, we're talking about continuous glucose monitors in October. (laughs) This would be great for these patients, especially again, if they're a DKA. And then uh, cardiovascular and respiratory function should be monitored. Long story short, that was a lot of words to say that we should be monitoring TPRs and stuff like that a few times a day instead of just once Um, or (laughs) not at all. (laughs) Um, Again, the specific electrolytes, because I just want to drive it home, which electrolytes we're trying to really closely keep an eye on. Potassium is going to be the big one, phosphate, magnesium, and calcium. Those are going to be the big ones um, that we're going to want to really keep a close eye on. And it's not a quick fix, right? So we're going to lead into client communication here, right? This, these patients are typically hospitalized for a while. If they do go home a little early due to financial concerns, uh, or just the preference of the client, 
it really needs to be driven home that strict feeding guidelines need to be maintained, right? Um, especially if they're home. If they're in the hospital, it needs to be communicated to these people, these clients that it's going to get expensive, right? These checking electrolytes four times a day is not cheap. Seriously. Uh, yeah. Maintaining IV fluid. Luckily, though, like I feel like IV fluids is okay. Like we could get through, you know, just changing amount due to the length of time a bag's been hanging versus mm-hmm. like having to constantly replace the fluids. If you use a burotrol, if you, I strongly recommend using a burotrol in these patients because mm-hmm. we're adjusting their electrolyte uh, in their additives in their fluids frequently as often as we are checking their electrolytes their electrolytes that are added to their bags of iv fluids is being changed as well so to save clients money and to save the hospital supplies i would strongly recommend bureau trolls uh same goes for like getting a continuous glucose monitor too. trying to talk that client into running down to the pharmacy and grabbing one um can save them money on having those glucose checks done as well yeah and then these are, it's a, it's a scary condition, right? So like, again, not a conversation for a tech to have with the client. This is a conversation for the doctor that things are very touch and go with these patients, right? Because mm-hmm. it can affect so many different body systems and it's such a tight walk, a uh, tight rope walk like that. You just one day can't, again, we can have those days of that rally, right? Where everything seems great and then we can go downhill. So it really it falls on the doctor a lot that communication needs to be heavy on these patients on talking to these clients about what the electrolytes are doing, what the plan is for the day and how things are going. Yeah. So one of the things too, about client communication is also kind of talking to them about preventing it from happening in the future. Yeah. Obviously, like if it was something like, you know, an animal got locked up in a garage for a couple of days or a shed, I mean, that's one thing. But if it's something where the patient has a concurrent disease that made them want to stop eating and that's what led to this, you know, you do want to talk to them about trying to prevent it in the future by using an appetite stimulant or an Mm anti-nausea medication or something to just prevent them from, you know, spiraling Uh (laughs) and ending up in the hospital. (laughs) I'm really a firm believer that any older critically ill pet with like diabetes or kidney disease or anything should just have appetite stimulant on hand because right these these guys always stop eating friday afternoons right (laughs) (laughs) yep so letting the clients have an appetite stimulant to keep on hand and use as needed Mm -hmm. can save a lot of turmoil for people (laughs) as i say an anti-nausea an appetite stimulant just kind of have it on hand and be like you know maybe use like a dose or two to get through whatever upset them. Mm -hmm. And then if they're still having issues or, you know, they get worse or anything like that, then come in. But sometimes just giving like one dose is enough Mm -hmm. to prevent them from getting that much worse, which is, you know, prevention. (laughs) An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Isn't that how it goes? Um, So, you know, and, and, and once these kids... As, again, as long as there's not like a concurrent disease, once these kids get out of the hospital and they get back to normal, hopefully they never have an issue with it again, right? When they, they shouldn't have any long-term issues with it. Um, so it's, it's one of those things like we get them through the crisis and they do better as long as, 
you know, that concurrent disease isn't going to be what's, a, what's causing it. So, um, yeah. 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 Um, follow-up I think depends on how, how severely affected these patients are, but, you know, we're, we're talking about getting them back up to weight if they were like severely malnourished or, you know, they lost a ton of weight. Um, so it just kind of depends on, on where they were at with, with everything. Cautions. Uh, I'm going to say the caution for, for this week, um, is just close monitoring of electrolytes, um, because things can get deranged pretty quickly. And if we don't catch it, that's, that's going to be an issue. So just making sure that we're, we're checking our electrolytes, we're keeping close monitor, on heart rate, respiration rate, all that stuff to prevent, to prevent my, issues. My other caution is don't get too excited when pets start to eat. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tip of the week. Don't make them eat too fast. <laughs> yes, that is definitely up there. Uh, I also had another tip of the week. What was I going to say? Oh, tip of the week for these guys, they could really benefit from pick lines or multi-lumen lines mm. because of all of the blood draws that we have to do. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, honestly, that's probably a huge thing, like a sampling catheter of some type. Yeah. Cause if not, these poor legs are just getting destroyed. Well, and they're also gonna, they're going to bruise more easily with everything too. It's the tip of the week. And then they're prone to infection depending on like especially if they're like diabetics and stuff mm -hmm. like that pick lines are great yeah uh if you've seen refeeding syndrome um have you seen it with dogs cats both any any unique species that might have refeeding syndrome that you want to share i bet rabbits go through it i didn't read anything about rabbits but they strike me as the type that would I think rabbits just have food issues in general. <laughs> yeah. Like, I bet, I wonder if, like, lizards, because, like, I used to work with. And now for the question of the week. Like, an actual exotic vet. So, like, we did, like, the bare minimum. So, we would see a lot of those lizards and stuff that would come in anorexic and, like, thin and super malnourished. Mm. But, like, follow up on them wasn't the greatest. Like, we definitely didn't hospitalize them. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Yeah. Ugh, interesting. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got on refeeding syndrome. Um, <laughs> I'm excited about the next couple episodes coming up. So, Ooh, yeah, whoop, whoop. again, you know, we're recording something tomorrow, which yeah. will be for next week, which is exciting. Um, just saying, it'll be yeah. a departure from what we've been doing, which will be cool. Yeah. So. All right, guys, I hope everybody has a great week. Uh, keep getting your learn on and we'll chat with you next week. All right, guys, have a good week. Bye. Bye. Boop, boop. Again, you know, we're recording something tomorrow, which yeah. will be for next week, which is exciting. Um, just saying it'll be a yeah. departure from what we've been doing, which will be cool. Yeah. So. All right, guys, I hope everybody has a great week. Uh, keep getting your learn on, and we'll chat with you next week. All right, guys. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.